in today's episode of the Amon Wire podcast. We were taught for a long time in the Muslim community, even by some of our scholars, that, oh, we have a crisis of knowledge. It's a crisis of knowledge. We need more knowledge. No. We have a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of knowledgeable people within the Muslim Ummah. We have a crisis of morality and spirituality. The, the, the whole fruits of knowledge is putting that knowledge into action so you can be a moral being. I don't care how many books you've memorized, what scholars you've sat with, how many mutun, classical mutun you can recite to me. If you're not an upright, moral, kind, gentle individual, you've missed the whole boat as to where that knowledge is trying to get you. Assalamualaikum, everyone. I want to uh, welcome you to Iman Wire Istanbul edition with your host, Mahtas Matia, and I'm your co host, Mustafa Davis. We're so happy uh, to be uh, having another very interesting, inshallah, conversation today. And we're going to talk about uh, studying overseas. We're going to talk about getting readjusted to America when you return from overseas and a host of other topics. Wait a second here. Um, oh. What is this Istanbul edition? <laughs> Who's this? Yeah, this is kind of weird. Salim, is that you? Yeah, yeah, it's me. It's Liam here in Gladar. Hey, Salam Alaikum. Oh, this boy. is America, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> So I guess we're going to do a little crossover uh, podcast today in honor of our 50th episode of the Iman War Podcast. 50 episodes already. 50 episodes, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, we want to thank all our listeners for uh, all their support uh, since we started the podcast. And inshallah, this will be just the beginning of many more. Um, Salim, do you remember what episode number one was? Of course, I, I yeah, I do. What was it? I asked you this question on a podcast before. Do you remember? <laughs> no, I'm asking you. I'm the host today. <laughs> okay, all right. I got to see how it's going. Okay, yeah, so you can ask me questions. Yes. I'm not going to ask so questions episode today. One. Uh, yeah, the first episode was uh, the day after the 2016 election. Yep. Yep, you and I wow. talked about the great fitna of, uh, you know, the one who should not be named. <laughs> But here we are now, and the earth is still turning, okay. everything's okay. Still breathing. Yeah, alhamdulillah. It's been, <laughs> what, how many years has it been? You know, obviously, we're, we're doing the podcast over here in America, and you, you guys are in Istanbul. And um, one of the things that I think that is interesting is to get a pulse on your experiences being in Istanbul. And the sense, because, you know, obviously, you're there for the Sohba program, and you are... You know, you have a group of students every year coming for the program from pretty much from different places, but mostly from America, correct? Yeah, I mean, right now yeah. there's about 15 uh, different countries in which yeah, students Marshall, are coming yeah. from, but the bulk are coming from the West. From the They're West, from the right? States. Yes. And so I think the, the, the big question I think that some people may have is, why is this necessary for a Western Muslim mm-hmm. to connect more with their religion uh, that they need to go abroad to a place like Istanbul. Yeah, that's a really interesting question, and it's one that I'm definitely going to ask uh, Mustafa to to jump in and uh, speak to, because he's there with his family, his children, and so he's had experiences too. But one thing I would say in general is that if uh, you know you were to look at uh, our ability to practice our religion, the core element in which Islam is built on is morality and akhlaq. The Prophet ﷺ told us that he was sent to perfect moral character. So all of our worship, all of our attempts to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our fasting, our praying, our remembrance of Allah, our friendships, they should all lead us to a space in which we're improving in our moral character. 
and uh, our akhlaq, our interactions, our, our exchanges, our moral exchanges with each other. And so society has an impact on that. And so what I just sort of personally found myself, look, I grew up in the United States of America. I owe a lot to this country. Uh, but one thing I just personally realized uh, a couple of years before I had embarked on going overseas to Istanbul, Turkey, which Istanbul, by the way, is the center of the earth. <laughs> I mean, it is a major <laughs> metropolitan city. It is not, uh, you know, protected itself from any of these things I'm about to discuss with you, is that um, there just seemed to be a degradation in general uh, of morality and this concept of akhlaq here in America and really in the world as a whole. So, you know, I was looking at myself one day, I was just analyzing myself and the things that I was desensitized to that I should have a very high level of sensitivity to. And then I looked at my children and I said, oh my goodness, if I'm this way, what are they going to be like? So I said, you know, I need to do something to just be able to put them and myself in an environment where I become more spiritually sensitive to what God and his messenger want me sensitive to, and I can attempt to protect the foundations of my children in that spiritual sensitivity as well. And so it wasn't necessarily just about moving to another country or moving to another city, that it was about gathering like-minded, like-hearted individuals and trying to establish uh, this togetherness in a place and a space that allows you to live that sort of life. Because if you go to Istanbul, I mean, it's Europe, it's Europe and Asia meeting each other. And Mustafa, I mean, you, you see all the things that you see in the States. Right. The problem, you're not escaping the problems. They're just, they're there as well. Um, they're everywhere. Like, yeah. And not, not just in Istanbul. I mean, they're in the deserts of Mauritania now, mm. too. So in a place like Istanbul, which is a major metropolis, it's, uh, you know, Half the cities in Europe, half the cities in, in Asia, you have from both sides, from the east and the west, the good and the bad coming uh, in, in one particular location. So we're dealing with all of it there. So I think that's one of the that's one of the I think the barriers that people have when they look at some a program like that or other programs is that they look at it from that standpoint that, uh, well, no, the problems, you know, you, you can't escape the problems that are present in whatever society you're living because they're present everywhere. But I think what you're saying is that it's not so much that you're trying to escape those problems. You're trying to find an environment of people rather than a place uh, that that is conducive to, to what you're trying I mean, to if we achieve. Look at, if we look at Medina and we look at our Prophet Muhammad, we'll see that they had some major problems within that community. I mean, some good men, Sahabis, they slandered the wife of the Messenger of God, alayhi salatu wasalam. Can you imagine that? Quranic ayat revealed about that. There were fitan, trials and tribulations that happen in the midst of Medina. And you can't get more of a utopian environment than ever being around the Messenger of God, sallallahu ta'ala, But what you had there was, by and large, a community that was, um, they had their hearts in the right place. So they were trying to solve these issues that came up in a way that God and his Messenger were happy with. So that's what we're trying to build, at least a community of people who their foremost thinking is a spiritual thinking. You know, how can I get closer to Allah? How can I get closer to his messenger? And that's a better place to grow up, a community like that, which you can establish in the United States of America. There are actually communities. If I look at Sheikh Hassan Ashab in Knoxville, Tennessee, that's what he's doing there. If I look at Sheikh Yahya Rodas in Pennsylvania, 
that's what he's doing there. I mean, there are other people that are here in the United States that are trying to establish communities like that. Um, so it's not just about going overseas as it is about being amongst the people who are also trying to go down that same spiritual path. But there's an added benefit in, in going overseas as well. I agree with everything Sidi Matassam just said, but I do believe there's an added benefit. Like for myself, in, in my particular situation with my family, I had access to all the things that I have access to in Istanbul. I had access to that in California, in the United States. Um, so what's the difference for us? Why are, are they flourishing, alhamdulillah, by Allah's grace in Istanbul in comparison to, to our state, our spiritual state uh, in the United States? And I think that's environment. Being able to connect to uh, our Islamic heritage, uh, you know, that dates back a thousand years, it, 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 it gives you a sense of izza, like a, a sense of... Um, a sense of responsibility as well. You feel like I, I have a responsibility now to uphold this tradition that has been upheld in such a beautiful way for this this long. And so for us, I think being overseas and the traditions of the saints and people that were there and the amount of scholarship that's still there today, you guys have visited. Yeah, you know, I mean, so I think that's, yeah, definitely. Th there's something I know, to like, that. When I, when I got, I was able to visit, you know, um, you all in um, Istanbul. And one of my my the, one of the strongest memories I've ever had when I went to Istanbul was being in like one of those one of the large masajid, right? And just thinking, you know, um, is actually, you know, just thinking that for hundreds of years, not just have people been praying there, but actually the actually the thing I thought about was if you know, in some of the masajid, right, they say Surah Fatiha for. The, the the one who erected the masjid, yes, right? The uh, yeah, 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 exactly. So I was like, this has been going on yeah. for for centuries, yeah. and then you know, who am I here? And and certainly, yeah, for you guys living there, that's that's like you know, it's almost a weight because you realize every day when you go to that masjid, like this is what I've inherited, and this is what we need to pass on to our children. And it's so inspiring, you know, when you see that, as Mustafa mentioned, you see these massages and you sit and you're just in awe. I mean, because you are now part of this tradition and it's your responsibility to carry that tradition. And simple things, for example, on a Sunday afternoon, if I look out the window of my apartment in Istanbul, I'll see buses uh, parking outside of where I live. And all these, you know, men and women are coming out, uh, you know, in the hundreds, and they're going to visit the resting place to say, Aziz Mahmoud Hudai, rahimahullah. Now, that's very inspiring for me. And I, and I show my children, like, hey, kids, look, I want to explain to you what they're doing, who they're going to visit, this man who left this moral, spiritual legacy. So that it definitely helps. Um, is but is, it, is this also, but is the danger also that, you know, that this, uh, you know, promotes this idea of just living in the past? No, you know, because, you know, I'm living there. Believe it's, it's present. Yeah, I'm not living in the past. I'll <laughs> tell you that for sure. And people come there, you know, before people come to visit in Istanbul, they're like, oh, you're living in a bubble. Right. And then when they come visit in Istanbul, they're like, uh, no, you're, you're living in the center of a major city. And it's, it's not a bubble whatsoever. At all. Yeah. But just to go back to, to the original concept of, you know, what surrounds you. And it's, it's really great to think about it, you know, that the barakah of the place and the blessings of the people that you are with, you know, is always an added element to the environment. All that history, all these massages and, you know, on a personal note also, like, you know, I have a, a different feeling when I enter the Suleimaniya mosque, mm. you know, that I pro possibly cannot feel anywhere else, mm -hmm. even in some of the other masajids yes. in Istanbul. That's actually you know, one of my favorite mosques. Subhanallah. But in addition to that, I wanted to mention also for those who are, doing what they're doing here in the U.S. or anywhere else in the world. There's, of course, this external element that we just talked about. There's also this internal element, which is the personal hijra that you're making. You are 
getting yourself out, like you, you mentioned seasonal stuff, you know, getting yourself out of your place to go somewhere else. That effort that you're making is, inshallah, rewarding, you know, is, is by Allah seeing you, you know, doing that, you know, you already kind of passed 50%, you know, and, and we have a lot of traditional examples, you know, in the hadith that I mentioned that. And, and, and this is such, subhanAllah, so you have the surrounding, the exterior blessings, and you have the interior blessing that's coming out of your nafs, your that, you know, that when you promised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you're going to make that hijrah, it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't, it, it, honestly, if you go to Istanbul or you go to Zimbabwe or you go to, uh, you know, Seattle, anywhere else, you know, it's all when Allah sees in your heart that you're doing this, there's already a whole lot of credit that you, that you cashed in. And, uh, you know, I think any program, whether it's in Istanbul, you know, in Knoxville, you know, uh, Allentown, in, in West Coast, East Coast, you know, Texas, there's a lot of stuff, mashallah, going on. So any program that facilitates that kind of hijrah, the personal hijrah, I think that will be of a lot of benefit, inshallah. You know, and, the, and the greatest hijrah, to be honest with you, is the hijrah that Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam told us about, inni dhahibun ila rabbi. So you don't have to physically go anyplace. The whole concept here is about spiritually moving. And if I could spiritually move to a better place sitting in my home in Columbia, Maryland, then that's where I will be. If I'm in Ohio, if I'm in California, and I found a place and a space where I can spiritually get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so then make your spiritual hijrah there, it doesn't necessitate a physical moving. In some cases, it does. In some cases, people have to do that. Over the past two years in the Sohbah, I've seen over 250 individuals, many of them families with children, coming for specific reasons that they just felt that being in a different space, in a place for their family is going to bring more benefit than if they were just set in their homes in New Jersey. And then they return and they go back with a more renewed understanding of their religion, uh, you know, more gusto to worship Allah Azza wa Jal, and that's the hope, inshallah, for, for many of them. But, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things I, I can say about, uh, you know, um, this particular subject. I think uh, for, for Mustafa and I, sort of, Mustafa started his travels when he was younger. A lot younger, the, yeah. the, about the age my, my oldest son is now, when yeah. we set off. Yeah, I think you were 19. And, yeah, and then we spent, um, about a decade overseas, mm -hmm. and then and then came back. Which is like on the concept of of, of hijra, I think it's important because like, we're asking, you know, even like the questions that we're asking, is it necessary to to go overseas to get your to get your dina? I even think that, that the question itself is 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 based on a modern construct. Mm -hmm. we, we have stories and, and precedents of of of, our, of the salaf that would spend uh, a decade just trying to find one scholar so that they could get one mas'ala that they, that they could learn and you know stories of of the you know the, the people who would you know going to their sheikh and like standing at the door and, and begging for years just to be able to, to learn with them and so i think there is something in what Sidi Laidar is saying and in, in, in internal movement but i do think that there's barakah in the haraka as well like in barakah in, in actually making an effort we, we i think we're becoming very lazy in this age where we want everything to come to us just 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 Press a button and send it to my phone and let me. Let well, I mean, me I think I think we're a product of what we see around us, right? So 100%. we don't see many people doing what you know people did in the past of like right. traveling to go meet a certain, like say, like say in a Western context, like going to a certain university to actually physically talk to a professor, right. for example. You don't really see that, so I'll email him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tweet at him. 
You know right. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's hard for to. I think it's hard for people to connect at all with that idea because they just don't see it enacted in their. But I think that's you know. what, like, what Sidi Montasim was talking about. What we're witnessing with the families that are coming is that they're they're witnessing that that baraka of being in that environment. And like Sidi Ladar was saying, it's just sometimes it's just an intention. An internal intention, like I want to get closer, I want to make this move to Allah. And for some people, it's going to be an actual physical move. And for some people, they're going to be right where they are in their cubicle, working in nine to five, getting closer to Allah. Right, and and that was my life for a very long time. Right, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has bestowed what He bestowed. I think we just have to make sure that our hearts in the right place. And you know, this is what I will say also too. I mean, we were we were taught for a long time in the Muslim community, even by some of our scholars, that oh, we have a crisis of knowledge. It's a crisis of knowledge. We need more knowledge. No. We have a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of knowledgeable, knowledgeable people within the Muslim Ummah. We have a crisis of morality and spirituality. The, the, the whole fruits of knowledge is putting that knowledge into action so you can be a moral being. I don't care how many books you've memorized, what scholars you've sat with, how many mutun, classical mutun you can recite to me. If you're not an upright, moral, kind, gentle individual, you've missed the whole boat as to where that knowledge is trying to get you. So, you know, you have a situation happening in the world in general, and we have to say even in the United States of America, where here in in the U.S., there's a major tug of war between the right and the left in terms of what the identity of the United States is. And I think over the past two years, we've seen that even increased more. The left has gotten really far left, and the right keeps pushing really far right. And then you have the Muslim community, which is in between. We are conservative, right? So we lean to the right in a lot of the regards, but then we find that a lot of the people that are defending our existence in the United States and are going to stand for us at the airports and going to be shouting that no Muslim ban tend to be very far left. And then what starts happening to us in our moral compass as we try to navigate these waters is we start to slowly erode who we are and what our identity is in standing with people who don't stand with Allah and his messenger and who Allah and his messenger don't stand with. And that's where my fear is. And that's what I want to try to protect myself from. I mean, going back and forth from Turkey over these past two years, I've seen major shifts in the sands here in the United States, especially about this concept of morality and what is accepted and what is okay with. And I've even seen that shift greatly impacting the Muslim community. Now, what we've had in Turkey, really interesting, is some families coming with their, you know, teens who have sort of been susceptible to a lot of these, you know, uh, vices in society saying, well, help fix them, get this out of them. And that's not an easy thing to do. So we have to be able to try to, you know, protect our homes and protect our houses from from a lot of these things. And for me, that just meant that this is what I decided to do for my kids. For someone else, they may not have to do that. You know, it depends on I that. think suhba is a real important factor in this too, the, the environment. Because one of the other major changes that my family and I experienced moving to Istanbul was the group that we were with, the crowd that we were, that we were hanging with. The Prophet Muhammad said, Al-Mara ala deen akhi, right? A man is on the deen of his companion, on the religion of his companion. And so even if you're here in the United States, you mentioned Sheikh Hassan Lashab and Sheikh Yahya Rodas' communities, you get a similar vibe in those communities because of who's there and who you're around. And there's there's a goal, and, and it's a collective goal, and everyone decides that we're going to make this goal together to, to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we're going to help each other on that. With, with an absence of that, you're the lone sheep that the wolf 
can, can grab. And so what I've found really is that suhbah is not something, it, it's not a, um, it, it's an integral. Sahra is an integral. Uh, and, and without it, we I think in this age, we'll, we'll flounder because the shayateen are, are, are rampant and they're, they're running around and, and they're picking people off. And so we have to stay with the flock, I think, in these days. Whether it's in Istanbul, in D.C., Pennsylvania, California, the group that you're with is really, really important. So what are some of the things that, that you guys have learned um, being, in, being in the program uh, that um, can be applied, you know, here in the United States that, I would say, like, I don't want to say transferred, but, you know, uh, manifested in, in the, their own unique way here. Yeah, I mean, just to, to piggyback on what Mustafa said, you know, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, Allah, he once said that by Allah, that which you dislike of being with people is better for you than that which you like in being alone. So I think one of the things that we learned is be in suhba, be, you know, Allah tells us, kunu salihin, be with good people. I mean, that is the number one integral recipe to the answer of what you're asking. Be with people who know Allah, care about Allah, love the Messenger of God, If you want to have a positive influence in your life, be with people who are trying to cultivate that relationship. That is assuming that this is what you want in life. I mean, you know, the, the challenges that we're having really, um, there, there's... There's a more external challenge here in that, uh, you know, subhanAllah, I was reading a lot of Imam al-Ghazali, rahimahullah ta'ala, and, and in reality, the problem that we're having as a Muslim community is that um, we don't see the akhirah fully as being real, that I'm going to die, that this world is just a transition point, that this world, as Allah describes it, is just games and lahu, and don't be like a cow. God tells us in the Quran, don't be like an animal who just eats and does all these things. No, you're, you're higher than that. I created you for a special purpose. I created you to know me. The greatest gift that you have in this world is the ma'rifah, the knowing of God. And that ma'rifah, that knowing of Allah, only comes through his worship, his ibadah. And so if that's not my goal, then regardless of what we're talking about here on an individual or collective level, it won't matter. But if I see this world as just a transition to the next, then I'm going to make sure that everything I'm doing in this life for myself and for my family is helping me in that transition. So we're trying to uh, you know, cure a lot of the diseases that the Muslim community has, but it's an individualistic outlook and view that has to be cured and fixed to be able to cure the whole. Why am I here on earth? What am I doing? Is it just to get a great job? It allows me to take all these vacations and allows me to drive a nice car and join a nice gym and do X, Y, Z. No, that's not the ultimate purpose. There's a higher purpose to that. So I think there needs to be just a spiritual adjustment and an internal look as to why am I on earth? And then once you answer that question, you'll start to build your life in a way that helps you prepare for that journey. The Prophet ﷺ, he said it describing himself. He said, I'm just a traveler, stopping for just a short rest and continuing on. This world is just a transition point. The real world is the akhirah, and that's what really matters. So for me, in preparing for the real world, I want to make sure that I'm with people here that are conscious of that real world. And that means that I will consciously put myself amongst those who are conscious of Allah and His Messenger. That's the starting point for me. 
because you're going to notice, I think most of us would both agree, Raidar and Salim, you're going to notice a major difference in your own life if you're with people like that. If you yourself is not someone who remembers Allah often, sit with someone who's constantly in the dhikr of Allah, what are they naturally going to do? Is going to make you remember Allah. Like there are some mashayikh, I remember we've been sitting in rooms sometimes talking amongst brothers. Some mashayikh come into the room, everyone goes silent. Not because you're scared of that person, mm-hmm. but just because of their presence yeah. reminds you of God. Yeah. Right? Yep. Just they have this presence that they just remind you of God. You know, the Prophet Sallallahu Taala Ali, they used to say that looking at Ali, looking at Sayyidina Ali, was a form of worship of Allah. Why? Because he himself was in such consciousness of God that when you look at him, you go into a consciousness of God and you start making the dhikr of Allah, which is a worship. So therefore, looking at him is a means to worshiping Allah. Who do we spend time with? Who are my friends? Where do I go out? What do I do? What concepts do I keep my ears and my hearts open to? This is a fundamental problem that we're having here in the Muslim community of America, and I'm seeing it become more and more liberalized, more and more liberalized, open, 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 till at the end of the day, you have no religion left. You have nothing. What you're on is no different than what anyone else is on. You've forgotten God, you've forgotten the Messenger of God and you're living a life, may Allah protect me and you, that one day, maybe 20, 30, 50, 60 years will end, and then, I'm going to be held accountable. And that's a scary moment. So for me, it's suhba. Suhba, suhba of good people. I, I can't agree more. I think, you know, for, for myself, I, I used to, uh, on a personal note, get disappointed and a bit saddened that when I would leave the suhba of my brothers, that I would find my iman and my practice start to, to, to decrease. And it, it really did used to de- depress me. I used to think, like, what is this hypocrisy? Like, you can, like you, Hanzala, you can, you can uh, do it yeah, when you're with your brothers, so, yeah. but when you're by yourself, so, you know, yeah. what are you? But then I, I kind of changed my thinking about it. And, you know, when I would read about the Sahaba who would complain to the Prophet Muhammad, وسلم, about when they were with him, they felt their iman increased. And when they departed from him, they felt a, a, a decrease. And so if, if this is something that the Sahaba felt, you know, being around the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu it's not something that I should be uh, down about. And I should, in fact, the opposite, I should be rejoiceful and grateful that Allah gave me companions that remind me of him and that when I'm with them, that I can stay on that path. And so for me, it's, it's the suhbah is an integral. Uh, I think in this age, we, 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 we don't have to talk in circles about it. We're in a difficult age. We're dealing with difficult things. Um, there's a lot of arrows pointed at us as a Muslim community right now. And so having that strength in numbers, the suhbah, I think, is vital. Yeah. And so for a practical takeaway, I mean, if you're in a community and you've got some good friends around you and you want to get together in this forum, I always recommend, you know, you start a, a, a proper sort of book club. There's two books I would definitely recommend uh, that, uh, alhamdulillah, Medina Institute happened to publish. One of them is um, describing the messenger of God. Sallallahu ta'ala and his attributes. And the other one is a, a commentary on the 99 names of Allah. If you were to make it that once a week, you're going to take one of these two books, read them, discuss them amongst each other, that's going to put you in a positive sort of environment. Let's trade our Pictionary uh, get-togethers 
or our, I don't know what game. Dictionary. Yeah, I am play so old. Dictionary? What is I mean, it? 1985. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's not even my time. It's <laughs> <laughs> not even digital. What is it that everyone gets together and plays? See, this is what happens when you go to. When I go to the bubble of Istanbul where 22 million people live, yeah. I mean, we have to also remember another external element also in Istanbul, which is the great baklava effect. Yes, yes. That's another thing. No, but what are people gathering and doing these days? I mean, usually, you know, we've gone They're binge-watching Netflix. They're binge-watching either together or personally. And, you know, trade that for something more beneficial, you know. And uh, some of these books are very beneficial. Read them. Discuss them amongst each other. (laughs) Seek other people that are wholesome, good-hearted, that you can spend time with. And do positive outings together. What we used to do in Maryland, uh, we used to gather every Thursday for the remembrance of Allah. We would uh, get together. We would read Surat Yasin. We would uh, read from Dala'ilul Khayrat of prayers upon the Prophet Sallallahu Ta'ala Alayhi Wa Adim. We would do a hundred times Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. We would do at least 100 to 200 times La ilaha illallah together as families with the children. Then we would do Dua. And then we'd have some sweets, some cakes and fruits. Everyone would eat. We'd pray Salatul Asha and everyone would go home. This is something very simple that a lot of people can do. If you don't want to start with a vicar circle, then start with a book reading. You know, here's the greatest book on earth that you could read and greatest book in the heavens. It's called the Quran. (laughs) Read the book of Allah. The most amazing book. Sometimes there's a deterrent for people in starting these type of circles and gatherings, waiting for a sheikh to come and lead them to do it. Is that required? No, no, you you do not need a sheikh to have permission to gather for the dhikr of Allah. And these are not, you know, intricate discussions about points of usul al-deen or fiqh that you're going to have. You're just together reminding each other. The Prophet once came rushing into the masjid and there was a group of sahaba sitting there. And he asked them, what were you doing? And they said, oh, we were remembering Allah. He said, by Allah, what were you doing? They said, we were just remembering Allah. He said, Jibreel, Sayyidina Jibreel just came to me telling me that you were all forgiven. Allah. So they were gathering Allah. in the Masjid of the Allah. Prophet and the Prophet wasn't with them. Mm-hmm. But what they were doing was not violating his principles, of mm. course. So, no, you don't need to wait to have a sheikh to gather. You don't need to. But what you need to make sure that we do is that we don't have anyone who's trying to be a sheikh amongst those <laughs> gatherings oh, yeah. and lead people to a particular place. No, you're all a collective. You're a suhba. You're brothers and sisters and children together on a path to Allah. You're one hand. You're one heart. You're all moving together and you're just doing so, trying to do so in a way that's pleasing to Allah. You can do this in any town or any city that you live in. Gather people. Mustafa, I, w- I want to um, ask you first, I mean, what about like switching gears here? What about when like you come back? I mean, you've, you've, you've gone abroad multiple times in your, in, your, uh, in your life and come back to the States and then gone, gone back again. And, and I think, you know, some people might, challenge this idea in the sense like okay you're going abroad and you're in the circle but you're still going to be influenced by the the um the, by the you know the cultural milieu of what's around you and then if you do come back to the the states right you're going to be um at odds culturally and experientially based on what you've been doing abroad it, there's going to be a lot of of um 
challenges for you to be acclimated back in a way that can serve, um, you know, the interests of, say, Muslims in America or Canada or wherever. I mean, I think that's what I think the concern is. And, and we do see, I mean, we do see sometimes people coming back from overseas and then they're trying to be leaders in the community and they're stuck in some, a different frame that may uh, not apply itself, you know, in the best way in America. I mean, there's definitely truth to that. I mean, that, that, that's not just uh, kind of like a random stereotype. We've seen it happen. I think for, for, you know, what, what matters, I think, in this is the amount of time that, that's spent overseas. So if you, if, if you go overseas for two or three years, you're not going to get so culturally confused mm-hmm. when you come back that you've forgotten how to speak English. You've, yeah. you've, you know, we, we've seen that, right? Uh, but that's just for people who've been gone for a long period of time, for like 10 years, and then haven't really engaged with the West that much. When we first went overseas, it was 1997. There wasn't Skype. There wasn't internet to check on things. We were finding out things via snail mail at that point. It's a different world now where students are able to connect immediately with, uh, with, with communities. And so I don't think the, the disparity of, of, of being culturally lost is as prevalent today as it was maybe, maybe a decade ago. But still, even just being in Istanbul for, for, for two years now, I even feel when I come back, my thought process has changed a little bit because I am in a bit of a bubble. I'm, I'm, I hear the Adhan five times a day. I see people in turbans and hijabs. I'm, I'm going to the gatherings. I'm studying. And so I, I realize that it's a different environment. Uh, but I'm coming back as well. And so I think, you know, it, it, it depends on the time of, uh, that you spend overseas. If you've been gone too long, we've even discussed the concept of maybe even having a residency program for returning students to acclimate and understand what's going on in the community. And the disposition of the student matters as well. You have some students who come back and get back and serve, and some who come back and, if we're honest, want to be, want to be served. And so the disposition of the student matters as well. I just wanted to add one, one more, um, you know, point regarding this concern, Salim. You know, it's true that when you go for maybe extended number of years, you'll have this. But then from a realistic point of view here in the West, we have imams that are brought from you know, Muslim majority countries who are not American, not even speaking English, and they're being brought as we speak still until now, like five, six decades later of the, the modern community establishment, you know, in America. We're still doing this? We're still we're still doing this because there, guess what? Because there's a whole there's a whole lot of need and we do have, alhamdulillah, certain institutions in America that uh, they do have, uh, you know, young imams being, you know, trained and, and you know, kind of going back at it, you know, uh, into the community, which is great. But in light of this reality and in light of the other ones who are also still here and that have come like 10, 15, 20 years that have still not uh, you know, or either refused or maybe their times as imams or as people of influence in the community did not allow them to, you know, uh, maybe uh, get to know the culture a lot, you know, and therefore they're, they're still, you know, managing through and they're, I mean, there's a lot of mishaps, unfortunately, but what I, I guess what I was trying to say is that in light of all of this, when someone who was born and raised here going there for, uh, to any country in the world other than the U.S. or Canada, uh, getting some training and coming back, there's still a whole lot of benefits, a whole lot of edge, more than a lot of the real issues or the real kind of um, pictures that are going on here in America. So, so I'd just take that, I, although I agree uh, from the intention and the principle, but in reality, it has just its variations. Yeah, I think Sidi Mustafa, you know, he, he hit the nail on the head for a few reasons. Number one, 
if someone's going overseas to study uh, and your intention is to come back to the United States of America to be served or to be the person with a microphone or to be, you know, the next major speaker at RAS, ISNA, Pearls of the Quran, ICNA, you have a major spiritual disease in your heart that you need to cleanse before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cleanses it for you. That's not the purpose of knowledge. The purpose of seeking knowledge is so that you yourself privately practice it and attempt to draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in doing so, it builds actually spiritual communities. Because, you know, good people are attracted to good people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, people of khair are for each other. And so he brings them together. So if you just become a practitioner of that knowledge that you took, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring communities of good people together. Number two, the other issue is I'm not going overseas to Istanbul or Turkey, so then I can come back to America and import Turkish culture. Nor, nor am I trying to import Yemeni's culture, nor am I trying but to import... But you wear all these Turkish shirts all the time I wear now. because they're yeah. so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I don't mind bringing, ba- you bringing baklava every time you come back. It's fine I, if you want to talk about Turkish shirts, here's, and, and, and the gap that I've noticed at the Gap, for example, I went into the Gap, one of these stores, <laughs> you cannot buy a male pair of, of pants, except now that they're all like skinny legs. What are they? Like super skinny style yeah. stuff mm-hmm. going on here. Yeah, you're smiling. I hope you don't have them on. <laughs> but, you know, it's Wrangler. <laughs> so, you know, these are some of the issues. So you're not trying to import that here. I mean, I know who I am, right? I'm very comfortable with my cultural upbringing here in America, but what you're trying to import or try to connect to is spiritual culture. And that spiritual culture transcends all culture. It's the spiritual culture that Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa alayhi left for all people to tap into. It's a spiritual culture of morality, of ihsan, and there are great men and there are great women who are still upholding the values of that spiritual culture. So once you come to America or once you move to Turkey or once you go to any other country that you go to, it's still your responsibility to maintain that spiritual culture. The rest of it is easy, whether it's acceptable or not, it's not a big deal. And that's it. So that's what it's about. So we're not here trying to make everyone dress as if they live in Morocco. There are days I will wear Moroccan outfits because I love how they look. They're very cultured, they're very nice, and they're very comfortable. But does that then mean that I'm telling everyone, give up your button-ups? No, I have a blazer on right now, I have a button-up, and I have slacks, right? So, no, I shouldn't have that confusion. Uh, So that's actually a main element for those that are going overseas. You're not going overseas to import something. You're going overseas to export something from your heart and import into your heart what Allah and his messenger love and come back and just be practitioners. I mean, certainly a lot of this is tied to who your teachers are. Absolutely. Because, obviously, if you're going somewhere with a teacher who somehow conflates their cultural um, experience and cultural expression of Islam with... Islam so, in terms of like the pure ilm of it, right? And then you, you come back and you conflate the two and you think that one has to be the other. It's the, it's the issue of, of people who are, are purporting uh, cultural preferences as, as Islamic standards. Right. And they're even purporting as, uh, as Sunnah as well, mm-hmm. like certain dress garbs or something. And that, you know, and that I mean, that has know. been one of the big um, barriers in, in the United States, at least, in terms of, 
you know, immigrant uh, communities, with, uh, you know, indigenous communities, because of this idea of, like, my cultural cultural practice or cultural experience in back home is what Islam is, mm-hmm. right? And so that has created, you know, divisions, you know. This is why I think it's really important for all of us as a, as a community, every single one of us, to get grounded in our faith. Because we're being pulled from two directions now. There was a time when the, the concern was the ultra-conservative people who were coming from overseas, didn't know the culture, and creating all these ideals and standards that were difficult for Americans to adopt. But we have the opposite as well now, pulling on yes. the other direction. We have unqualified, totally left liberal Muslim, quote-unquote, scholars that are calling people to something the opposite of, of that. And so I think the only real solution is that we ourselves have to get guard ourselves with the prerequisite knowledge that neither of these extremes can 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 pull us. Absolutely. And that's that's a great point. And Mustafa's point, actually, it's, it's so important. Like each one of us has that responsibility because, listen, this is deen, this path, your spiritual connection to Allah and his messenger, sallallahu ta'ala, alayhi wa ala, it's what will save you in this world. And it's what will save you in the next. We can't allow anyone to rob that from us. And so we ourselves have to go on and take spiritual knowledge, heart knowledge, mind knowledge from pure sources so that we can protect ourselves from what others may want to sway us from. And there's always the new flavor. I, you know, I always ask, what's the new flavor of the day? There's always something, whether it's this uh, concept of perennialism that's coming, which yeah. is completely rejected. It's not from our tradition whatsoever. Whether it's this concept of um, extreme left-leaning uh, liberal ide- ideology, which is not from our tradition whatsoever. We're, 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 we're the middle ground path. We're the Ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Ta'ala Alayhi Wa Alayhi And everything we need is with him Alayhi Salatu Wasalam But I won't know that if I myself are not taking this knowledge To be able to protect myself and my family uh, from what's to come So I think, yeah, everyone just takes takes that on and, and so one thing I will say, one point I will add From even just being overseas America is an amazing place it, it, it's really, it's a, it's a blessing from Allah and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Muslim American community the ability to practice practice their faith in, with freedom. You know, one of the founding characteristics of this country is that freedom. Another beautiful aspect about it is how multicultural America is. Mm. If you go to Pakistan, if you go to Yemen, if you go to Saudi Arabia, if you go to Turkey, you are not going to find such a mix of ethnicities in these countries. I don't think you'll even find it in Syria. So I think when a lot of, um, you know, the brothers and sisters maybe move from these countries into the United States, I think there is a bit of a shock for them here, too, about how mixed the United States is compared to this tradition of 30, 40 years that they themselves had living in Pakistan or India or Palestine, where it was really just predominantly one flavor. So the culture and the religion, they get mixed because that is what you know. And so they themselves, when they come here, there's some unpacking that they need to do. Some, it happens quicker than others. So I think if we can like establish these communities of patience to be sort of with each other as that gets unpacked, I think it'll flourish, but there's some challenges. And, and that's, that. actually, that's actually a great point because uh, you know, I had relatives of mine, you know, speaking personally, who came from you know, Syria and other places around the world, and and they were very much accustomed to uh, you know religion and culture being mixed in together and all that. And I'm sure this goes on to, with other faith communities as well. But the idea is 
they came here and it opened their eyes, that kind of mix of cultures and identities, you know, you know, in terms of nationality, you know, it just made them more aware. And they themselves, because of having that kind of, some of them, alhamdulillah, that had that good seed of spirituality, they were able to decipher. And therefore, they left all that craziness, you know, that, you know, came with it, you know, sometimes, you know, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, some, some elements that were confusing or maybe they thought they were to be part of the comfort zone of being a Muslim Syrian or a Muslim Turk or a Muslim, you know, Kuwaiti, etc. Uh, and, and quickly they kind of felt that this was so liberating that they were able to see the core of everybody, you know, spiritually, and therefore they opened up. You know, I had uh, relatives of mine who came here, for instance, thinking that, you know, uh, you know what, there's no way for me to marry somebody who's not Circassian, you know, like I'm just talking about my own background. And because of their spending time here, they were opening up, now, and they were not, by the way, they were also older people, you know, who were mothers, you know, and they were thinking, I would never in my life think that I would accept that my, in my son or my daughter would marry somebody, you know, who is, let's say, not Circassian let alone Syrian or any, any, anybody else. And they all of a sudden, you know, because of their practice and they saw all these beautiful elements of different cultures and nationalities, they're like, SubhanAllah, we are here truly just as one Muslim, you know. Uh, and, and, and don't get me wrong, it's not a nerjisi, it's not a, like, you know, kind of this beautiful thing to, to you know, say, oh, oh yeah, forget about the other. No, I mean, there are some real cultural differences. We need to be cognizant of that or all this. But people were able to be liberated because of this. And I wanted to also mention one last thing regarding uh, the cultural, you know, you mentioned Salim, which is another valid question. People think, oh, what about the garb? You know, they, they get, you know, a little bit more, I guess, um, well, you people know, see, distracted. People see the superficial things, and yeah. that's usually how they, you know. They do. I mean, I, I get it, you know, by all means. But, but to Muratasim's point, you know, when you purify from the inside, you seem to elevate beyond that. Yes. You know, it doesn't yeah. really matter what you wear in the shirt. It doesn't really, like, subhanAllah, after a while, and I'm not saying I have this. I'm saying that I've seen this, you know, of people, you know, that when they focus spiritually enough, it doesn't really matter, Wallahi, whether you're like the, the real shiuch when they come, like I'm, I'm not the one who's judging who's the real shiuch or not, but they come to you, they don't tell you what you're wearing. They don't, they don't even look at, they just look inside your heart. And that's a Rabbani thing because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala look what's inside your heart. They can't see what's inside your heart, but they see a manifestation of your character. And it doesn't matter whether you're wearing, you know, this kind of collar or not, or, uh, you know, or there's a big jubba or there's no jubba. So this is what I want to just mention. Just stay away from the tight jeans, right? Yeah. Stay away from the tight jeans. I think it goes back yeah. to, like, what Mustafa said <laughs> earlier was about, like, you know, if we have to be grounded in our faith tradition. And then with what you were been talking about earlier about the, the companionship is like if you if we if we go to these core principles and we're with a core group of people all these things just sort of float away and you know i'm going to push back on an earlier question asked about like you know oh being in like abroad like you know are you immersed in a different cultural frame but i'll be honest with you being in america i mean it's like right now our cultural frame is this like monoculture social media culture and we're stuck in it Sometimes I just consider only the issues that are facing the Muslim community or the human large are only the things I see on social media, right? But it's like there's so many other things going on, you know. One day someone was talking about like, you know, you should be talking about, you know, X and X topic, like a family, something's going on in the family. And just because it's not in my social media feed, it's just not something that is, is registering. So all of us 
to a different level are immersed in different, sure. you know, cultures. Right. Um, some of them are like, you know, virtual cultures, you know, but all of us have to like go back to what most of was saying is finding that like, you know, those core principles, those core people, you know, um, certainly that's, that is that is really what needs to take place here in America as well. Now with the new algorithms, you know, God help you. You just have one interest in one thing, and then yeah, all of a sudden your Facebook hole. feed is just yeah. all engulfing you in one bubble. <laughs> but you know, you know, the Prophet gave us the most amazing algorithm, and Allah gave us the most amazing algorithm. It's called dua, and then you put your hands up and you sincerely ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to put you and your family and your loved ones in places and spaces that He loves. And that he puts you on a path that he's happy with. And it takes some time. You do it sincerely, consistently, and you get there. You know, so. I think that's that's a beautiful point to end on. Um, so we're going to make dua that you guys come back here. Oh, just as you guys. And we'll make dua that you guys come there. I know. You guys are always telling us to come there. Disagree to disagree. Yeah, you know. We'll meet every year at the Pearls of the Quran. We, on behalf of the U.S. Iman War team, podcast team, we're very thankful to have you guys on. And we look forward to more and more episodes from you from Istanbul and uh, uh, keep us in your dua. You guys are in our dua as well. Oh, and to all our listeners, again, um, thank you for your support. Again, it's our 50th episode and we wanted to do something a little different for today's episode. You know, just have us chat about um, some of these issues. And uh, But we really want to thank all our listeners for all the support um, in uh, building this podcast. And uh, please continue to share the podcast with your friends and family, anyone who think you could uh, benefit. Uh, give us give us a rating, five star rating on uh, on iTunes, and and continue to, to just uh, give us feedback. Send us emails, uh, you know, tweet at us at uh, Iman Wired, and uh, we just really appreciate your support. And uh, we hope, inshallah, to um, one day have a hundredth episode. Um, so again, uh, we'll until the next episode. Uh, we'll see you next time. Assalamualaikum. Peace be unto you.